open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. This is the, the part of the book of Revelation that's epistolatory. It's a, um, a letter, uh, and it's seven different letters to seven different churches. Each one of them ends with the line, um, the verse, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this is a call for all of us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches and for us to apply these things to ourselves and our church and see how much they may apply um, to us in particular. So let's um, go to the Lord in prayer first. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not left us to our own devices, um, even, even just um, the inclinations of your spirit to know how to worship you, how to live our life, to know what the difference between right and wrong. So, Lord, we thank you that you've given us your written word about salvation and the way to live a life that's pleasing to you. And so we pray now that you would speak to us clearly through your word and the word preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 3, to, in beginning of verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You were neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, and I also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. And so we end this series of letters um, on, a, on a down note, sort of. We just go from the church in Philadelphia, which gets the most praise to the church at Laodicea, which is one of only two churches that get, receive no praise, but actually kind of not really hidden in there, but, but in there is, I am disciplining you. And what that means is, I love you. But he is calling them to respond to the discipline. And <clears throat> what we need to look at this as we go through this letter, as we have all the other letters, is we need to think to ourselves, as I've said, all right, how does this apply to us? Our particular, our individual lives, our particular church, maybe a church in our area, but particularly I think the church in our country, and then how's the church in the world going? But as he broke this down into seven churches in this one area, could be called, one commentary called it a, a presbytery of sorts, um, he's not talking about the church in general. He's talking about churches individually. Some churches may be doing really, really well, and some churches may be just barely clinging on to life at all, but he's still speaking to the churches. And it's he who has an ear 
let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit is speaking to the churches. We pray that we would have ears to hear. He begins <clears throat> to the angel in the church of Laodicea. Again, the angel meaning the messenger, um, literal translation, so probably to the elders in this church. Write this. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So again, seems a little repetitious. This is the seventh time, but I think it's repeated in the Bible so that we're supposed to recognize the repetition of it. <clears throat> is at each beginning of each letter, it's like this is who is addressing you. And he takes one aspect of the introductory characteristics and description of Jesus Christ and who he is, and he takes a part of that and he gives it at the beginning of each letter of each of the churches. And for this church, they hear that this is the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. So the word amen, um, amen is the literal pronunciation of it in Aramaic. This is uh, Aramaic and Hebrew are very similar. It's, uh, Aramaic is a little older than, I mean, younger than Hebrew. They're very similar. This is, would have been the language of Jesus and the, the apostles. Um, <clears throat> and so when they say amen, what does that word mean? And we usually end it like the end of a prayer. Like it's over now and everything else after that. I mean, when I was little and I'd pray and I was going to bed at night, I felt like I had to say amen because I didn't want God to think anything I thought after that was a prayer. I don't know. Ian thinks similar weird things when he's praying too. Ian would pray, be with us now and, and forever or something. But you want to make sure you cover it all the time span. You don't want to leave a particular, and right now, right. So it's a similar way of thinking. But when we think about the word amen, Jesus would say, amen, amen, I say to you. And it's translated in most Bibles, uh, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. So the word amen would be pronounced, as a lot of churches do, particularly uh, Southern Baptist churches. Um, pastor says something about, you know, you guys are really living in sin. Amen! You know, they're going to shout out amen. That's true. Let it be so. And it's probably not the best time to shout amen if somebody's telling you you're in sin. Let it be so. But yeah, we agree with what you're saying and, you know, it ought not be so. But the word amen means, interestingly, a good way to translate it is with what follows, faithful and true. So that what we're hearing is he's interpreting who the amen is and what it means when we say amen. This is a faithful word. This is a true word. And he's calling himself the amen. Jesus is the amen. Now, an interesting look at uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. Now, I like to go back one verse once we get there. So start at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. So the amen is the final word of the Bible. It's the final word of the book of the Revelation. And Jesus Christ here says he is the amen. So the punctuation point, the stamp of authenticity, the, the truth and vitality of it, the faithfulness of everything in the Bible. As the Bible says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He is the amen. He's got this final word, and he's faithful, and he's true. The beginning of God's creation. Now, I can throw you off a little bit. If you just take this verse, it sounds like, well, he was the first thing created, possibly, but that's 
not what this says. The Greek word is arche, which um, can mean ruler or head of or the thing that begins something. So he's the beginning of the creator. He's not the first thing of it. He's the one who began it. And so we know from the Bible, it, it, the world is, the universe is upheld by the word of his power, that through him all things were created. There was nothing that exists that, exists that was not created by Jesus Christ. And we find this word as well in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, there's that part of it, um, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that word ruler is our word arche. So the ruler of the kings of the earth. It can mean the ruler. It can mean the one who started them. It's the one who is in control of them. And so what God is saying to this church that's having obviously a lot of problems of Laodicea is this is the word of the amen. This is the final word. This is the true word. And he is faithful and he is true. And he is the ruler of God's creation. He is the institutor of God's creation. He is in control of everything. And it's not just that this is what this particular church says needs to hear, but that this is the final descriptor of Jesus Christ in the seven letters, so that this is the one he leaves us with as we go into the rest of Revelation, that we need to understand that he has the final word in all things. Nothing happens apart from his rule. And he says to them, in verse 15, I know your works. Now he said something very similar or this exact thing in all the other six letters. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's rather visual phraseology. We can picture that pretty well. The, uh, it makes me think of um, Jonah who was vomited out on dry land from the, the great fish and now you have somebody that's just picked up this water. I don't know if you ever picked up water and it's cold day or hot, very hot day and you expect one thing and you get it and it's like, ugh, just nastiness. And we can read this, and it's interpreted lots of times as, I wish you were either hot or cold. And we hear this, and we think, you know, I wish you were on fire for the Lord or just dead. One or the other. But this lukewarm stuff, I can't deal with that. And that is a possibility in the way that this would be interpreted. And, but if you think about it, it's like, would he really rather that you're just cold, dead? Is that what he would really rather? And we can hear the frustration of that. But we've seen in each of these letters... There's a, something about each city that was particular, that was personalized in this letter. And we see that for Laodicea, there's something about this that's personal about their water. They, they are a very wealthy place, as we're going to see. One of the things that happened, we've heard about an earthquake in the area and the different things that had happened in AD 60. There's an earthquake in Laodicea. just pretty much destroyed the place. And the Roman Empire said, hey, we can come in. We're declared an emergency and we'll come in and we'll give you funds and we'll help you with this. And they said, we're fine. We don't need your federal money. We got our own money. We can take care of this. Don't worry about it. And it was a source of pride for them that they were so wealthy. They had so much money. They rebuilt their own city. They did not need help from the federal government. They didn't need help from the empire. So they just handled it on their own. But they had a river that was nearby, and you couldn't, it's just nastiness. You couldn't drink out of it. There's something wrong with it. You couldn't use it um, for, for water in the city. And so, you know, you've got everything going for you, 
except your water. And so it's like people would talk about Laodicea and how bad the water was. Um, so what they did, though, having a bunch of money, they um, had a construction of um, aqueducts. As you know, the Romans had learned how to do this, and a five-mile aqueduct from another city that had hot springs. And they would take that water and make it come all the way to their city, five miles, and by the time it got there, you could drink it, but it was just like kind of a warm, nasty sort of, it was fine, but you can't, it's like, it's just not what you want. And then in a city called Heropolis, which I think was about 10 miles away, they had these hot springs. So, you know, you can go to places where they have hot springs, and it's like, you just, it's like a hot tub. You just kind of go, and you can lay in there, you just, you know, warm, hot water has very good uh, medicinal purposes, even. It's very relaxing, and it's, you know, it's, it's good. And then in Colossae, they had this pure, drinkable, refreshing cold water. And so you would go there, you know, it's just flash the cold water in your face. It's hot, and you drink this cold water. You just, you know, it's not that cold water is bad and hot water is good. It's this lukewarm water that you guys have because you don't have real water there that you can even drink, and that's you. And I think that's more, and I'm not alone in this, is that it seems to be what he's saying is, I wish you were either hot or cold. You know, they're all thinking, man, I wish our water was hot, or I wish our water was cold. It's like, we got this, I mean, thank you know, thank goodness that we have the ability to have water at all, but man. And Jesus is saying, no, I wish you were either hot or cold too. The same problem you have, you guys are lukewarm. And so whatever he means by hot and whatever he means by cold, what he means by lukewarm is pretty obvious. It's not just that you're just sort of there. It's just kind of like you're just not good for anything, really. I mean, yeah, it's usable, but and he said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So not good to be spit out of God's mouth. I mean, if there's one thing we could all agree on, that's fairly clear. And that's what he's saying to the church. So we have to think, what if he said that to us? You know, and however you want to look at it. We need to say individually as Second Street Church. You know, what about a church in our area? What about a church in the United States? Is the Lord ready? And he does seem to deal with nations and areas. You know, just spit us out of his mouth and if he was according to this why would he do it and it'd be because we're not hot good for you know treatment and relaxation you're not cold good for refreshing and things just lukewarm people kind of would not they don't want to deal with you and that's our spiritual condition is it just this lukewarmness and he goes on and he says for you say I'm rich. So he's now saying this is why you're lukewarm and why I'm calling you that. Because you say that you are rich. Now if you go to chapter 2, I will get it right this time. Chapter 2, verse 9, the church at Smyrna, the Lord told that church, I know your tribulations and your poverty but you are rich. So this church in Smyrna is doing pretty well, but they have lots of tribulations and they have lots of poverty, but he's telling them, you're really rich though. And now he's got this other church and you're telling me you're rich, but, and in verse 17, and you say, I have prospered and I need nothing, just like they told the empire, I have everything that I need, not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
One, two, three, four, five things. It's not enough just to be wretched or pitiable or poor or blind or naked. Any of those one things, but you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Just, I mean, I sort of see you know, Lord of the Rings, Gollum over there, but at least Gollum could see. But it's like you're just wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. That's the condition. Now notice this too, and this is, I think, significant for our day. The church in Smyrna, very faithful, poor with material prosperity on the way in on the radio this morning is it Patrick Womack is that the guy's name that comes on the radio I tell you what he's blasphemous he is he's about preaches a, he preaches a gospel that it will condemn people to hell if it doesn't condemn people to hell it will condemn them to uh, languishing in I mean he's preaching a, a prosperity gospel because the way he was saying this morning was um, you got to claim your power. You have to live in that victory. You command things so that you have riches at your disposal. He's talking about physical, actual riches. And I'm just thinking about well, people in Haiti. That's what you're going to say to them. What people that you got it. What are you going to say to these people that are strong Christians? And it's just because they aren't commanding these things in their lives. And it's like this church in Smyrna was in bad shape physically, and God's telling them you're rich spiritually. And then you got this church in Laodicea that's got it all together. And he's telling them, listen, you're lost. You're pitiable. You are miserable. So we live in a fairly opulent time. I mean, we live in a time on this planet where wealth and riches and prosperity is greater than at any other time in the history of the world on, in a country that, for the most part, is at the top of that so that you know, how many of you had the ability to take a hot shower this morning? You know, maybe most of you. Have, there have been times when the water's been out and we're pitiful um, when you don't have hot water and we're pitiful, you know, because we're used to having these things. We have a, a lady who's moved here from Haiti, not here, but up in Chicago, never been to the United States, and um, I'll turn on the water and, and, and hot water, and I just always think, what, does she just is amazed every time she turns on hot water still? Like, how long does it take a person to get to a place with all these amazing things before they immediately become expected and you're upset when it doesn't occur. And that's what happens to us. We're, we're well, way too, we move from thanksgiving to expectation to being upset when you don't provide me with everything I need. And I've got it, I can handle it, and I've got it covered. And so what this church is saying, he's saying to this church is, you're saying that you're rich. And they may even be talking about this spiritually. They may think they're blessed spiritually. And he said, you're not listening to what the Spirit says. You are not because you are lukewarm. I counsel you, because you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So buy from me gold refined by fire. What's that mean? Obviously, he's not saying buy real actual gold. And we know in the Bible it talks about trying something by fire. Fire is a judgment, but when you try gold, what you do is you, you melt it, and so all the impurities melt out, and you get down to the pure essence of, of the gold. So you can purify the gold by melting it down. But there are these fires that come into our lives, and First Peter talks about this. Don't be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you. He says, these things happen in order to um, purify your faith, which is more precious than gold. Because your faith is that thing that gets you into heaven. Your faith is what connects you to Jesus Christ. And it's through faith that we are saved. And he's saying here, buy from me gold. And you've got to turn. We've got to go to Isaiah 55 because we would be remiss not to read that. So 
there's a lot of what John writes here in the book of Revelation comes from the Old Testament and he has this um, these verses in his mind the spirit is bringing them to mind Isaiah 55 beginning of verse 1 come everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I'll make you an everlasting covenant, my sure, steadfast, sure love for David. And then you go to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make it, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the way you buy this gold from God is by listening to him and doing what he says, trusting in him, not watching what the world is doing and judging everything in your life by the world. You can look at the world and say, or your world and say, everything is just terrible. And what God says is, don't judge things by human standards. Or you might look and say, I got it going on. This is the most amazing thing that my life could not possibly get better. And God says the same thing. Don't judge these things by worldly standards because you don't know what's really going on. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So this goes back to Eden. They were naked and ashamed before God. You stand before a holy God. I mean, God created the earth and the richness thereof. He is holy and the world fell. And in the garden is where we first sinned and now we're born into sin. And they were naked and ashamed before God. If you stand before God outside of Christ and the holy God looks at you and examines your life, just in pure holiness and removes even from you. I mean, he can, of course, see through our lies and our excuses, but what if he removes from you the ability to lie and make excuses? What if you must stand before a holy God and be nothing but truthful in the things you say? You will be your own witness against yourself, and you will feel the You won't be able to bear, him, bear in his presence, and that will be why you're cast out in, your hell, in hell forever because the presence of the Lord is as a burning flame to you is a fire. Whereas for the believer who's been converted so that now when we stand before him we'll be as he is, we absorb this light. We are delighted to be in the presence of God because our sin has been dealt with. And that's going to be the difference between the believer and the non-believer in the day of judgment, which is why this church is going to be spit out of his mouth that they're lukewarm because they are allowing people in their city just to perish. 
They could care less about the gospel to other people. They must not get it themselves because they're so enamored by the blessings that God has given them that they can't recognize that they're forgetting the giver of these gifts. We must beware of that. There are many in our church who have been given great physical blessings who allow these physical blessings to keep them out of church and to keep their minds and their hearts absorbed on the gifts rather than the giver. We have to make sure, and this can be things or people or relationships or whatever else, but anything that we begin to value more than God himself becomes an idol. You may say in your heart, I would never value anything more than God. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do your thoughts dwell? Where do you tend to go when you are in a uh, emotional state? Um, who do you <laughs> just examine yourself? You may say you are rich and still be wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked, by from God, gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes, because you're blind. It just so happens Laodicea, they, had, they were known for a medical facility, and they had um, invented some salve for eye diseases. And they're like, look at us. We got this. It's called Phrygian ointment, I think. And they were using it for all sorts of eye diseases. He's like, <laughs> he's like you're blind. You need, you, need, you need salve to anoint your eyes. He's just turning everything that you're calling your strength, everything that you're calling your blessing, everything on which you are basing your self-worth, and it's not in Christ and not in God. He's like, can those things save you? You need to be able to see. And in verse 19, he's reminded, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. And we're told elsewhere in his word that if he does not reprove and discipline us, then he doesn't love us. It's only the ones who are reproved and disciplined. So it's a, it's a hope for this church in Laodicea. And what's he tell them to do? Be zealous and repent. Zealous. I looked it up. It says, an uncompromising witness before an own looking pagan world is the way one commentator said an uncompromising witness zealousness is a zeal it's very similar to the word jealous it's uh, if you're zealous it just means you're just on fire this is your thing this is what i talk about i want you to be zealous i don't want you to be lukewarm i want you to be good for something i either want you to be like hot water for somebody i want you to be like cold water for somebody don't be this lukewarm nothingness that just is good for nothing and he says in other places i'll remove your lampstand here he says i'm going to spew you out of my mouth that should drive us to fear. And so that what we do if we think, gosh, this could be us, what do we do? Buy gold from God. Go into his word. You need to clothe yourselves with, with fine white garments. Also in Laodicea, they were known for their black wool. It was known far and wide for this beautiful black wool. As a matter of fact, if you walked around Laodicea, they said most people were dressed in this black wool, except for these priests. They were walking around, not Christian priests, but pagan priests. They were walking around in white. And he says, you need to buy yourself white garments. Don't, don't clothe yourselves with your own righteousness. Don't clothe yourselves with your own riches. Don't clothe yourself in your own estimation. Adam and Eve took fig leaves. They tried to cover their own nakedness, and God said, you can't do it. It's only the righteousness of Christ that can 
take away our sin. And he says, and repent. Just change your way of thinking. It just, do, change. I mean, that's what he's saying. Now, that's not the gospel, okay? The gospel is not repent. That's what you do as a result of understanding the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, and was raised on the third day for our justification, for our righteousness, so that God said, yes and amen, he is the righteous one. He has conquered sin and death, and all those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life by gold and come to him. The spirit of the risen Christ is offered to everyone if you will come to him. And the result of having your life transfigured by hearing from the word of Christ and being transformed and being born again is a change of heart, a change of mind. It's repentance. Your repentance does not save you. Be careful of that. Jesus Christ saves us, and we will begin a life of repenting. In verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock, which is fairly interesting. Revelation 3, 8, to the church in Philadelphia, he told them, I know your works, and behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So he's complimenting this church. He says, there's an open door. No one can shut it. They're not going to shut you out of the synagogues. They're not going to shut you out of heaven. There's an open door. And here it's, <laughs> the door's closed, but Jesus is standing at the door and knock. Now this verse is used out of context a lot of times, and they'll say, he's standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you just let him in, but that's not what this is talking about. He is standing at the door of the church, and he's where? He is outside the church. And I think I like to say this first about other churches because one of the things we don't have a problem with is we don't have uh, exuberant jumping and dancing and excitement, emotional stuff going on during all the singing and stuff. And not even going to say whether that's right or wrong to do, but you can do that and think that's the Holy Spirit and you can't even hear him knocking at the door outside. And he's like, sounds like they're having a party in there. And he's knocking at the door. And it can be the same thing because we can have a worship service that's very dour and perfect and it's right. And nobody smile because we don't want that kind of thing in here. And we're, we're getting it right. And once churches are fussed at for that too, you, you got all your theology right, but you forgot your love. You had it first. You know, is he, is he in here with us or is he out the door? And he says this too. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... Wait a minute, somebody's knocking at the door, you don't hear the voice, you hear the, the knock. But he is knocking and he's speaking. He's not just knocking, he's speaking. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the Spirit of Christ. Jesus Christ speaks anywhere the Bible is opened. Anywhere that there is a church and they still sing hymns that are based on Scripture. Anywhere where there's the Word of God that kind of seeps in somehow, even in the worst churches, if somehow the Word of God is in there and the person hears, and this is the good news too, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So... Even if you're in a, 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 a bad church that's not preaching the gospel, that's, you know, but it's still a Christian church in the sense that they have Bibles and stuff in it and maybe they read from it, um, 
you can hear the gospel. You can hear the spirit is calling. And then I think what needs to happen is maybe you should leave and find a church of like-minded believers who you aren't by yourself and nobody else can even hear Jesus. You try to maybe speak to the leadership of the church, do everything you can in your church to try to help people to see that they're not believing and preaching and understanding the gospel. And then if they aren't, and there's a reason to leave a church because it's not preaching, teaching, trying to live the gospel. But he says, he does stand there. And he is knocking, and he is speaking, and if you have the Spirit, you can hear. And this is also hopeful for people who live in parts of the world where maybe there's nothing but one church, and they're just preaching all kinds of stuff. But I'll be there with you. To the one who conquers. This is how he closes each of the letters. To the one who's victorious, to the one who gets through this, to the one that does hear me, to the one that does open the door, to the one who is zealous, to the one who is hot or cold, to the one that um, repents, to the one that listens and hears what I say, <clears throat> he will sit with me on my throne. That's crazy. I mean, that's just wild. You're going to sit with him on his throne. It's not just that, you know, you'll make it by and we'll get you. You're going to sit on a throne. Remember, look forward to what it is that we have to look forward to. You're going to sit on a throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, that just takes us to Philippians chapter 2. So, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2 verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others." And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, talk about riches, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Revelation, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. How did he conquer? He did not conquer by becoming the richest guy. He did not conquer by controlling all the people around him. He did not conquer by having the most toys. He did not conquer by these things. He conquered by becoming obedient to the point of death. He conquered by humbling himself. And he's telling the church at Laodicea, I know you're self-sufficient. I know you got all this physical, worldly stuff going on, but you're missing the boat when it comes to me and God and Jesus Christ, and one day you're going to die, and you're not going to be on the throne. You're going to be in hell. And what you need to do, because this is not a call to evangelism, I stand at the door and knock, it's a call to renewal. It's a call, a call to churches to say, open the door and let Jesus in. Now he says to other churches, the door's open. I know you've been persecuted. And so what we have to do with ourselves is to go back and look at these seven churches and say, 
We see ourselves in different ways in every one of these letters. And we have to be able to see ourselves in the same way in this letter because it's easy for us to see how our wealth could drive us to believing, one, that we got it together and we're doing pretty good, and two, that God is very pleased with us. And what that can all do is just make us a lukewarm church and it's good for nothing but being spewed out of his mouth. But he says, I do stand at the door and knock. And if you hear me, I will come in. And he's going to call us. He calls us to this gospel and to his table. And you're, those who by faith are united to him will feed upon him at this table. But if you don't believe, you don't have faith, that's why you eat and drink condemnation to yourself. Because you're eating and drinking of the very thing that says, this is what you have to have for life. And you believe it. So the death that he died is not for you. You will deal with that on your own, and it will take you forever to do so. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for loving us, for disciplining us, encouraging us, knocking at the door, speaking to us. We pray for ears to hear, and we pray that you would help us to to let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, that we would, and even if we give up our lives to the flames but have not love, then we're nothing. And this is a love for you. Help us not to treasure up gold for ourselves. Help us not to be like those who went into the promised land and when they became prosperous, they said their own hands had brought them that prosperity. Help us to humble ourselves to use our blessings to be a blessing. And we thank you for your gospel and pray that you would make us zealous and repentant where we need to repent, but that we would preach the gospel boldly to ourselves and to this world. Show us how, show us where, and give us a heart to strongly desire it. And this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.